Well, if you recall, at the end of December, we as a church finished our study of the book of Colossians, a book that's all about highlighting for us the supremacy and sufficiency of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We saw how Jesus Christ is the preeminent one. He's the creator, the sustainer, the ruler of all things. And therefore, He ought to be preeminent over our actions, our ambitions, and our affections. As the one who is the very fullness of God and the exact imprint of His divine nature, Jesus Christ is to be exalted by those who have grasped a sense of His glory by grace. And He is to be honored and He is to be adored as the only one who can bring true freedom, forgiveness, and fullness to the human soul. Christ alone plus nothing, as Colossians teaches, we are complete, filled to the brim, full in Him. That is the message that was delivered to us over this past year. It was the message that was delivered to the believers in Colossae. It was also the message, if you recall, that was delivered to the church in Laodicea as well. As Paul says in Colossians 4.16, And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. So this was the message, that freedom, forgiveness, fulfillment, life, and glory, all you need for all of that is Christ alone. Every blessing God has to give is found in Jesus, Christ above all. That is the message of the Christian faith. It is the calling of the Christian life, looking unto Jesus as the supreme and sufficient one for our souls. But the question is, what if we as believers don't listen to that message? What happens if we as believers disregard that calling? How important... How necessary is it for us, for ourselves, and for our faith family here at Grace Chapel to keep Jesus Christ above all as the focus and center of our thoughts, our worship, our actions, and our affections? Well, to answer that question, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 3 this morning. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, which teaches us In one final passage, the necessity of Jesus Christ above all. The absolute importance of believing in and exalting the supremacy and sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ in all things. And this passage teaches us the necessity of Christ above all through the example of the Laodiceans. See, the Laodiceans had received the message of the book of Colossians over 30 years prior to the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. In Revelation 3, they had received the message of Christ above all being the only thing we as believers need in order to find lasting freedom and fulfillment for our souls. Three decades they had to study the truths of the book of Colossians and to put it into practice. Only what we'll discover here is that the Laodiceans didn't listen. They did not strive to make Christ above all as the center of their actions, ambitions, and affections. And so 30 years later, as John is caught up in a vision on the Lord's day and begins to receive this great revelation of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Jesus tells John in that moment, write this letter down and send it to the church of the Laodiceans. And here in Revelation 3, 14-22, we'll see Jesus return to many of the same truths that he communicated 30 years earlier in the letter of Colossians and call on the Laodiceans one final time to turn, to repent, and to enthrone him, Christ above all, as their supreme and sufficient one. 
And that's what I want to show you today from Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. The necessity of Christ above all. This passage breaks down rather simply. In verse 14, we're going to see the church's assessor. That is, the one who evaluates all true believers' spiritual condition. Then in verses 15 through 17, we're going to see the church's ailment. That is the spiritual diagnosis that the assessor, Christ, gives to those particular believers in that local church. Then in verses 18 through 19, we'll see the church's answer. That is the spiritual prescription that is needed to remedy the ailment that had fallen upon that church. And then finally, in verses 20 through 22, we'll see the church's awards. That is, the motivations for following, you could say, the doctor's orders, right? The motivation to listen to the assessor's message and to change their lives for the glory of Christ. So we have the church's assessor, the church's ailment, the church's answer, and the church's award, all of which teach us the total necessity of exalting Jesus Christ above all. And so with that in mind, let's read Revelation chapter 3. Verses 14 through 22. The Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words to us. Revelation 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing That you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the Word of God who delivers us from our oppressors by causing us to do what is just and what is right. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You, Father, as we draw near to the end of our study of Christ above all, there is this one final message straight from the mouth of Him who is above all. 
Father, I pray that as we are reminded of all these truths that You have taught us over the last year and a half, I pray that in these final messages, You would drive those truths deep in us so that we would be zealous, that we would repent, that we would change and live lives that not just hear Your Word, but respond and obey for the glory of Christ. For that is why You have put us here in this place. To be a shining reflection of the character of Christ to a lost and dying world. Shower us with the grace that is ours in Christ this morning, Father, we pray. May Your Spirit accompany the teaching of Your Word with power and conviction and encouragement that we might walk in a manner worthy of our calling, fully pleasing to You. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the first thing I want all of us to understand before we begin to look at this passage is that it directly applies to us. This message that Jesus gives here speaks to more than just the church in Laodicea. It speaks to more than just certain churches living at certain times, perhaps in certain states. It, as Jesus says in verse 22 of this chapter, this letter is given to anyone who has an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. This is written to all believers at all times, in all conditions. This letter is written to us, to me, to you, and to Grace Chapel as a whole. And in starting off this letter, Jesus begins by reminding His audience and us who it is that is speaking to them. And that's where we see in verse 14, the church's assessor. The church's assessor. Verse 14, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Jesus says there in verse 14, And to the angel, that is literally to the messenger of the church in Laodicea. This is probably referring to the head teaching elder and pastor there in Laodicea, the one responsible, primarily responsible for regularly communicating God's truth to God's people. Jesus says, Make sure that this message is delivered to my church, my family, my children, my sons and daughters there in Laodicea. Make sure this message is delivered to my church, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? And listen to how Jesus describes himself here in this verse. Does this sound familiar? Jesus returns to the very same descriptions that were given to this church 30 years earlier in the book of Colossians. Jesus says this, to the words of the Amen, are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. First, Jesus describes Himself here as the Amen. Now, even though we use that word frequently at the end of our prayers, uh, we often don't have a clue what that word means. It's just tradition, right? We pack it on there at the end in Jesus' name, Amen. That word Amen means so be it. 
In other words, may it be actualized. May it be fulfilled. May it come to pass. And so Jesus here in Revelation chapter 3 is saying, I am the amen. I am the actualization. I am the fulfillment. I am the fullness, the perfection, not only of God's promises, as Paul teaches over in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, but also of God's person as well. Jesus is saying what Colossians 1.19 and Colossians 2.9-10 declared so wonderfully that we studied, that Jesus is the very fullness of God in human flesh. He is the one in whom the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell bodily, and that you have been filled in Him. He who is the fullness of God, you have been filled in Him. Jesus returns to that same description here with the Laodiceans, reminding them that He is the perfect one. He is the complete one. He is the fullness of everything that God is and everything that God has in and of himself. The Laodiceans needed to be reminded of that. In order to live a life that pleases God and enjoy the fullness of all that God has to give, you don't need Jesus plus worldly philosophy or pragmatic ideas. You don't need Jesus plus ceremonial rules or external legalism. You don't need Jesus plus mystical experiences or private revelations. You don't need Jesus plus physical aestheticism or restrictive severity to the body. In order to live a life that pleases God and enjoys the fullness of all God has to give you, you just need Jesus and nothing else. And nothing else. Everything that God has to give you is found in Him. He is the doorway to God's blessings. You must pass through Him. Everything God has to give is found in Him, and you receive everything. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place is the exact moment you trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. The Laodiceans had forgotten this. They had begun to pride themselves, and they had begun to seek satisfaction in so many other things. But Jesus reminds them here, no, in order to live a life that pleases God and enjoys the fullness of everything God has to give, you must turn to Christ alone above all. Never drift away from this. The foundation of your acceptance before God the foundation of you being a recipient of God's grace and mercy and blessings has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with your track record this past week. It has nothing to do with how well you obeyed or how well you disobeyed. God showers upon you His love, His mercy, and His grace simply because you are in the Beloved, in Jesus Christ, who is the Amen, the one who has brought fulfillment to all of God's promises. You are complete in Him. Don't look to your own actions as the basis of God's acceptance and pleasure with you. Look to Christ. He is the Amen. Don't take pride in anything else except in Jesus Christ alone. Above all, never drift away from this. If you hold fast to Him who is the head, you have everything God has to give. As Colossians 2.10 taught. He is the Amen. And Jesus returns to that theme here in Revelation 3. Jesus is also described here as the faithful and true witness what a description of our lord jesus christ that arrested me this week as i was looking at that in other words jesus never shades and he never distorts the truth he is always honest and completely forthright 
with it. And that's because Jesus is the truth. If you recall, is what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus is the beginning and the end. He is the source and the substance. He is the fullness and fulfillment of truth itself. That is why 1 Peter 1, uh, chapter 2, or excuse me, 1 Peter 2.22 says, No deceit was ever found in his mouth. Jesus is and he will always be the faithful and true witness. You can trust what Christ says to you. You can stake your life on it. In fact, you must. You must build your life upon the solid rock of hearing Christ's words and obeying them, believing them, embracing them by faith. He is the faithful and true witness. You can trust what He says to you. As Hebrews 4 verse 13 says, Nothing is hidden from Him, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must all give an account. And so while it is true, as Jeremiah 17.9 says, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? The answer is, Jesus can and Jesus does. That's how He can speak the truth to you. He knows you better than you even know yourself. He desires truth in our inward beings as the faithful and true witness. And therefore, with eyes described in Revelation 1 verse 14 as being like flames of fire, Christ looks into our lives continually and He discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And as Hebrews 4.12 says, He brings them to light through the truth of His Word. And if we will but learn to listen to His voice, to listen to His accurate assessment of who we are, then the truth He speaks will be the truth that sets us free. Because that's who Jesus is. He's the faithful and true witness. Isn't that great? I mean, I was thinking about it this last week. We live at a time when, frankly, it's hard to know what to believe, isn't it? Everything's labeled either as fake news or as misleading information. I mean, we as a society, we no longer judge things by truth or lies, by facts or falsehoods. Now we judge things by whether information leads you to what is considered a correct conclusion or misleads you to what is considered a wrong conclusion. Who cares whether it's true or not, our society says. Where does it lead you? That's the rub. Does it bring you to the conclusion we want you to have or not? We live in a day that is not characterized by faithful or true witnesses. But I've got good. I've got refreshing. I've got soothing news for you. Jesus is the faithful and true witness. He is always true and He is always trustworthy. He is always right and He is always reliable. He is always correct and He is always consistent. It is true. When I look outside of this book, I don't know what to believe when people are speaking to me. But when I look into this book, I know exactly what to believe. Because these are the words of Jesus Christ, the Amen, the faithful and true witness. I can ground my life, my peace, my joy, my confidence in Christ alone. Because He's the faithful and true witness. These are the words that I must live in. These words, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness. These are the words that I must live in. These are the words that must live in me. As Colossians 3.16 taught us, I must let the word of Christ dwell in me richly. I must listen to the words of the faithful and true witness. How has your Bible reading been? 
This is my first chance to teach at the beginning of a new year, right? Several of you have encouraged me by letting me know that you were able to complete the Bible reading plans that we handed out last year. I want to encourage you, if that completely fell off on the wayside, pick it up now. It's not about getting it done in a year. It's about spending time sitting at the Master's feet and hearing His truth continually in your life. I must let the Word of Christ dwell in me richly because what we are about to study are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, and if that wasn't enough, these are the words of the beginning of God's creation. Notice, it doesn't say these are the words of the first of God's creation. No. It says these are the words of the beginning of God's creation. That is the source of God's creation. The word beginning here is arche in the Greek, and it describes the impelling force that begins an entire operation. It's, 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 uh, and what it's saying is that the entire universe was created by the impelling force of Jesus Christ. To put it another way, if you want to know where all creation comes from, if you want to draw everything back to its first original cause, to its ultimate origin, it is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who began creation. Just as John 1, 1-3 says, In the beginning was the Word, that is Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and then listen to this, All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus, God the Son, is the one who who started creation. And by the way, this is exactly what Jesus told the Laodiceans back in Colossians 1 verse 16 when we read there, For by Him, that is by Christ Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Jesus is the beginning of God's creation. He is, everything finds its source, its life, and its existence in Him. You cannot exist without the Lord Jesus Christ. You may wish you could, but you cannot. He sustains all things by the word of His power. It is by His mercy and grace that you are here this morning to hear His words that you might be set free. Jesus is the beginning of God's creation. And this is Jesus' point. Since He is the one who began all things, then He is the one who is before all things. Just like we saw in Colossians 1 verse 15, He is the prototokos. He's the firstborn. He's the most important person above all of creation and the most important person in your life as well. Jesus is reminding the Laodiceans of all these truths that they had already received. That he is, Colossians 1 verse 18 says, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn and from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus is the one to whom everything has been handed. He is the one over whom he is exalted over all. He is the one who is before all things and in whom all things hold together. He is the one, as Revelation 5 will later describe, who is worthy to receive the title deed of the universe itself and to bring all the storylines of history to a dramatic, perfect conclusion. Jesus is the beginning of God's creation, the supreme and sufficient one, the most important person in this universe. He is Lord. And everything has been handed to Him. The universe, the church, and you. He is the head of all rule and authority, as Colossians 2.10 said. 
And as such, he can deal with us in a very direct and authoritative and immediate manner, such as we see here in this letter. Because he's the amen. He's the faithful and true witness. He's the beginning of God's creation. These are his words. Now before we go any further, we must ask ourselves this question. Why does Jesus remind these believers in the Laodicean church of all these things that they had already heard about Him once before? And why do I take the time this morning to remind you of all them once again? The answer is because all of us, just like the Laodiceans, can so quickly forget and neglect both the worship and the words of Christ. And that was the problem with the Laodicean church. They had forgotten the worship and the words of Jesus Christ. First, we can all too easily neglect the worship of Jesus. In this opening sentence, Jesus is reminding the Laodiceans and us of His own wonder and His worth, and He is encouraging them, just as Colossians 3, 1-2 did, to seek the things that are above where Christ is, to get their focus back on what matters most. The heart and center of their existence. The Laodiceans had ceased to do that. We'll see in in the following verses in coming weeks that they had begun to grow complacent and to seek after earthly riches and prosperity and in a very twisted sense, an idea of their own self-sufficiency. They had begun to set their mind on things of this earth, not on things above, and as a result, they become blind to their true spiritual state. They had forgotten from whence their life comes. To such a degree that they had actually started to begin thinking that repentance and faith in Jesus Christ is just something that sinners do sometime. Not something that saints should be doing continually. Coming to Christ. They had neglected to continue in desperate dependence on Jesus. Though they had, as Colossians 2.6 says, received Christ Jesus as Lord, they were not walking in Him. They had drifted away from Christ above all and begun to seek freedom and fulfillment, satisfaction and worth and lesser things. They've begun neglecting the worship of Jesus. Can you imagine that? And yet how many churches find themselves in that very state? Those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, who have had glory and eternal life purchased by His own blood, who indeed enjoy every single day out of His gracious hand, existing together in a church not for the glory of Christ alone, but perhaps for the sake of their own name or reputation or popularity. That was the Laodiceans. They had become an institution They hadn't become the family of Christ in worship of Him. They had drifted away from Christ above all. And this is why this letter is spoken to all of us. We often look at this and say, well, I'm so glad I'm not the Laodiceans. Well, here's the thing. We so too easily can be. And even if we were, we wouldn't know it. Because they're blind to their state. 
This is the necessity of Christ above all. That everything we do be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul taught. We can begin neglecting the worship of Jesus just as they. We are told in Hebrews 12, verse 2, that the essence of our Christian faith is looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. This is our calling as Christians. It is to look to Jesus and to find in Him everything that we need to pursue a life that honors and glorifies Him. The moment we neglect to do that in any area of our life, the moment we leave the worship and the worth of Jesus out of our actions, ambitions, and affections and become distracted perhaps more by doing than by loving... We become wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked. And we can begin to view the person and the work of Jesus Christ as some lesser thing that needs to be supplemented by some experience or some idea or some work. That is why we must continually come back to this as believers and as a church looking unto Jesus. Perhaps some of you are sitting here this morning saying, Pastor, why are you spending so much time on just three descriptions of Christ? It's because if we don't get that, we don't get anything. It's Christ alone, above all, looking unto Jesus. This is our great need. This is our great need. Even as Moses prayed out on the mountain, show me your glory. It's the greatest need of our heart. Looking unto Jesus. So I'd encourage you, as we consider how to wrap up the study of Christ above all from the book of Colossians, and as we'll see here, ending with the book of Revelation, read the Gospels regularly. Read the Gospels regularly. Read the New Testament epistles with a focus not supremely on what Jesus says for you to do, but supremely on the Jesus who is speaking to you. Look to Jesus. Even in the Old Testament, consider how is this pointing the way to the one who is to come? I know I've shared this as an encouragement for a very Bible reading. This year, if you struggle to take something away from it from the day, always ask yourself these three questions. First, God is. What is this passage teaching me about who God's character is? Second, God does. What is this passage showing me something about what God does in this world? And then third, I must. What is this passage telling me to do? If you struggle to get something out of your Bible reading, ask yourself, God is, God does, I must. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Because even as believers, we can all too easily neglect the worship of Christ. The second reason why Jesus takes the time to remind us of himself in this letter is because we can all too easily neglect not only the worship, but also the words of Jesus as well. I hope I've made it abundantly clear so far (laughs) that the words of this letter in Revelation chapter 3 are immediately connected to the words that the Laodicean church received 30 years earlier in the book of Colossians. Everything that we have been studying over the last year and a half, the Laodiceans received as well. And yet within 30 years, the church that had received the letter of the book of Colossians was in danger, Christ says, of being spewed out of his mouth. Rather than walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, as Colossians 1.10 says, they had begun to displease Him. Why? Because they had neglected the words of Jesus. They heard everything we've heard. 
Only they didn't let any of it change what they loved, what they thought, or how they lived. They did not hear what the Spirit was saying to the churches. And so here in Revelation chapter 3, Christ in great love and lowliness speaks to His people assembled there in Laodicea once again. And He reminds them of the One who is speaking to them and who indeed is speaking to us. What we have heard over the last year and a half in the book of Colossians are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Therefore, see to it that you do not refuse Him who is speaking to you. Receive the words of Christ that we have heard as we have heard them read and taught and put them into practice. Take what we've been learning as a church through the book of Colossians and apply it to your life. So here's an application to that as well. I'd encourage you as we finish up this series over the next week or two, read back over the book of Colossians several times and ask the Lord to show you what areas you still need to apply this letter to your life so that you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him because this is not about filling our brains with knowledge this is about allowing christ to have our hearts don't neglect the worship and the words of jesus and we want to help you do this as a church so one of the things that we're working on right now and i wanted to let you know is turning the audio of these messages into sermon transcriptions you can print out read and study on your own And we're doing this so that this journey that we're on together of making the Word of God fully known and these lessons that we're learning about exalting Jesus Christ above all will not end with the final message of this series whenever I get to verse 22 sometime next year. (laughs) But that it'll live on and it'll reverberate and it will be able to be received by us for months and for years to come so that God's Word can become written on our hearts and dwell in our hearts richly. It's what this is all about. This is the necessity of Christ above all. And it begins by looking unto Jesus. So as we bring this series to a close over the next two weeks, next week or so, I encourage you, do not neglect the worship of Jesus nor the words of Jesus. But just as Christ shows us here, Look unto Him and receive afresh this week the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Make His words the regular diet and feast of your soul this year that we might, as a church, walk in a manner fully pleasing to Him. We'll have to look at the rest of this letter next week, but for now, this is the Word of God from Revelation 3.14, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until our amen returns. To that end, let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Jesus. Father, we acknowledge that apart from Him, our lives are empty. There is a dull ache within as we recognize our need of Him. Father, we thank You that we are complete in Him, lacking in nothing, but Father, help us not to take that completeness as some past event, but help us to understand that it is a daily and continual need. Father, perhaps there are those who are here this morning that have neglected their walk with Christ. This morning there is a dull ache within them as they recognize 
that it has been far too long till they have feasted on the fullness of Christ. Father, I pray that you would, by your grace, bring them back to yourself. In reading of your word and in prayer, godly fellowship. Father, we thank you that Jesus is the faithful and true witness. That as we attempt to navigate this world that is covered with lies, both outside us and within us, the lies we even tell ourselves, Father, we thank you that we can run to Christ and find Him to be the faithful and true witness. And Father, as we enter into this new year, perhaps considering who might be in charge of our earthly circumstances, Father, help us to remember that Jesus Christ is the beginning of God's creation. He is the one that rules over all, and He is the one that sustains all. Father, help us to reflect our faith in Him in that way by staying ever close to Christ. May we find in Him the source of our life and existence this year. May we not neglect the worship of Jesus as a church, nor the words of Jesus, but may we walk in a manner worthy of our calling, fully pleasing to Him. We ask that You would give us grace to do that this week, this week, in Jesus' name. Amen.